Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for this precious word you've given us that you have preserved all these years. Thank you that it's meant to help us in our fight against the world, the flesh, and the devil. Father, I ask you now for grace to preach your word with joy. And Lord, I pray for your saints that you give them the grace to hear and to apply your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, everyone. It's time to wake up. All right. Let's open our scriptures to Jude chapter 1. We're getting close to the end, and I just happen to have the lot fall in a pleasant place as I take on this passage, 20 through 23. Jude was written to saints, and he was going to write just about his common faith, but there was a concern that he had because of false teachers. And so he redirects what he was going to write about to give a solemn warning about false teachers who lead people into darkness away from God. Okay? And so we see in verse 3 that he is calling those saints to contend for the faith. It's a battle. To battle for the faith that's been passed down, we must hang on to that. We must be involved in that battle. And he goes on to describe for them in verses 5 through 7 that God deals with false followers and false teachers. And he gives three examples. The people of Israel in the wilderness who rebelled against him died in the wilderness. The angels in heaven who were given a prominent place because of their rebellion with Satan were removed and kept in chains for gloomy darkness. And then he gives Sodom and Gomorrah towns that were given over to immorality, unnatural desires, and they faced the very fire of God. Those were examples that God will deal with false teachers and false followers. And then he goes on to describe who these people are, and he gives descriptions of them. He calls them people like Cain, who obviously killed his brother, Balaam, who wanted to give prophecy for profit, And then Korah, who sought to rebel against Moses. So he's painting this picture of these false prophets. He describes them in verses 12 through 13. And then he comes and talks about that the Lord will come with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment upon them. So he's giving a stern warning to these saints who he loves that they can't just sit back and be passive. They can't just rock along. They're going to have to roll up their sleeves and they're going to have to contend for the faith. We come to verse 20 and he's actually going to tell us how to do it. He's going to tell us how to contend earnestly for the faith. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life and have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by flesh. If you'll notice in this passage, we have a biblical but. 20. He, he talks about these false prophets for all these verses, and then he says, but you, but you, beloved, children of God, you must do something different than what the false prophets do. In contrast to how they live, here is what you are to do. Here is how you are to contend. They're contending for their own faith. Their faith of unbelief, their scoffing of who God is and what he's done. You, on the other hand, must do the following. Notice two things he's going to tell them. He's going to tell them, one, to keep yourselves in the love of God. So here's your outline for today. Keep yourselves in the love of God. That's verse 20 and 21. 
And he's going to tell you how to do that. And there's going to be three points he makes there. Building yourselves up in your holy faith. Second, praying in the Holy Spirit. Third, waiting for the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. How do you keep yourself in the love of God? By those three things. Then, 22 and 23, he doesn't say this, but it's what he's saying is keep others in the love of God. First, keep yourself in the love of God, then help keep others in the love of God. How do we do that? By having mercy on those who doubt, who are being drugged away by false teaching, save others by snatching them out of the fire, people who've already completely given themselves over to this false teaching, and show mercy with fear. In other words, if you're going to rescue someone, you need to be fearful because there is risk involved in being a rescuer. Okay? So let's look at it. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. Now, some people will take this the wrong way when he says keep yourself in the love of God it sounds like this is a work that only you do this almost sounds like works doesn't it for God to love you you got to work really hard you got to be at church you got to read your Bible you got to pray just work 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 and then God will accept you we understand from the rest of scripture that we're accepted by what basis alone by faith in the, un, the work of Jesus Christ, who he is and what he's done. That is the love of God. But he tells us that we're going to have to do this. Now, I want you to notice Jude sends us two messages. The message here is you have a responsibility to keep yourself in the love of God. But notice what he says in verse 1 and 2. Judah, servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God, the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. We're, we're told to keep ourselves in the love of God, but in verse 1, he says we are what? Kept. For who? For Jesus Christ. Let that soak in, saints. If you're his... You're being kept by him. For who? For Jesus. And then look at verse 24. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. Who's going to keep you? God's going to keep you. So God's keeping you, but you're called to do what? Keep yourself in the love of God. So it seems almost like it's contradictory, but it's not. You and I have a responsibility to keep ourselves in the love of God. And he starts off by telling us to build ourselves up in our most holy faith. Now, all of us have had the experience of riding a bicycle. And we love riding the bicycle downhill because it doesn't take a lot of energy, does it? It just kind of happens. And if you get a steep enough hill, you're going to find yourself kind of losing control and going over the front of the handlebars. But I think the Christian life is like a person riding a bicycle going uphill. For that bike to continue to move we must do what? Be energized. We must be working at it, right? The hill is the world, the flesh, and the devil. Okay? And what he's saying here in all, these, in all the verb tenses here and the participle tenses, it is present tense. That means it's continuous. These commands are not just keep yourself in God one time. It's keep yourself in the love of God Continually. Building yourself up in your most holy faith. That's a continuous verb. We all know what happens when we stop pursuing the love of God. We either stop or we begin to slide back down the hill. Spurgeon said 
in a sermon on this. If the hearts of the members of the church are right, mockers and scoffers can do very little against them. Keep yourselves in the love of God. For a warm-hearted company of Christians who love the Lord with all their hearts, with all their souls, are not likely to be overcome by mockers and those given to sensuality. Love to God will be as a wall of fire around about them. In dull, decaying churches, errors spread like ivy on the crumbling walls of an old abbey. But life, zeal, earnestness, warm-heartedness, Throw off these evils, even as a red-hot iron plate evaporates the drops which fall upon it. Love God, and you will not love false doctrine. Keep the heart of the church right, and her head will not go far wrong. Let her abide in the love of Jesus, and she will abide in the truth. Keeping ourselves in the love of God takes care of a multitude of evils. It keeps us from sin. It keeps us from wrong doctrine. It keeps us on the path to protection against false teaching and to help others as well. We see all the participles here. We see building, waiting, Praying, these are all acting as if they're, in, they're imperatives. What's an imperative? It's a command. He's not making the suggestion. He is giving a command. You must be building. You must be waiting. You must be praying. How do we build our... First thing he talks about under keeping yourself and the love of God is building yourselves up in your most holy faith. He's not talking about just your personal belief. He's not saying just muster up more of that faith, that belief in God. He is saying you need to build upon the faith that's been given to you. He's talking about the teaching of who Jesus is and what he's done. You are to build on that. Christ has laid the foundation with who he is and what he's done. Now it's a matter of you building upon that. This requires studying and applying God's word to our lives. Do you want to avoid false doctrine and wasting your life? You're going to have to study the word of God and apply it to your life. Studying it is good. If you don't apply it, it doesn't really matter. And there are people who can spout and talk all kinds of correct doctrine, but it has never worked its way into their life. And we're all guilty of that, aren't we? We know more than we are what? Applying. May God give us grace to catch up. The attack was coming against their faith, that body of truth that had been delivered to them. The best defense against, one person has said, the best defense against false doctrine is sound doctrine. Remember that the spiritual battle is ultimately a battle for truth. And the battlefield is our mind. What you believe about God is critical. And if what you believe about God is false, it is going to lead you into trouble in your life. Indeed, the holy faith is that same faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. One pastor said, for those of us who are Christians to exercise discernment and protect ourselves from being led astray... We must remain on the path of sanctification. Doing so involves first building ourselves upon our most holy faith. We must become doctrinally strong if we would recognize error and effectively fight the battle for truth. Brothers and sisters, there's false doctrine all around us. Outside the church, inside the church, among dear brothers and sisters that, who we love, False doctrine is everywhere, and we must give ourselves to building ourselves up in our holy faith. Jesus said to his disciples in John 17, the night he was betrayed, Sanctify them, Lord, in the truth. Your word is truth. 
How do we sanctify? How do we make people like Jesus? Getting the truth into our lives. It's the responsibility of the church to do this. In Ephesians 4, 11 and 12, we read, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. Cody quoted this this morning in, in our first light, helping us be built up and strengthened the whole area of evangelism, that we will be equipped to be strong and to be able to proclaim the gospel of Christ. Notice here he says, building yourselves up. We're looking at a reflexive pronoun. So whose responsibility is it? Ours. It is. It's our responsibility. While the elders of the church and teachers of the church are to equip you for works of service, whose responsibility is he laying it at right here in Jude? Yours. It's your responsibility. You have a responsibility as a blood-bought follower of Christ to build yourself up in your most holy faith. 1 Corinthians 3, 10 through 14. Let's turn there quickly. I should hear some pages turning. And then obviously we have our phones with the electronic Bible. We'll not go down that road today. It's all good, right? He says, according to, this is Paul talking, according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is who? Jesus Christ. Christ is the cornerstone of the church. He is the foundation of the church. Paul says, I've laid the foundation. I've told you who Jesus is and what he's done, and you put your faith in him. Now build upon him. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest or it'll become obvious. For the day will disclose it. What's the day? The day when he comes. The day when Jesus shows up. Because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. Notice the responsibility the builders have. It's to do what? To build upon the foundation. May I say that in this body, we're building upon the foundation. If we're a believer, we're building. The question is, are we using good building materials? Are we using sound building materials that we've been taught in the scripture? Or have we built some stuff on Jesus that's not really true and really takes away from his gospel and his message and his mission? And we can all say this, can't we? None of us have built as much as we should. Amen? And this message should challenge us to step up building upon that most holy faith. Most holy faith refers not to your personal faith, but rather to the objective faith, the substance of what is believed. It's holy. What you have been given the truth of who Jesus is and what he's done, it is holy. There is no other message like that. There is no other faith like that. The world is full of different types of faiths, but there is only one holy faith. Jesus and who he is and what he's done as it's found in his holy word. Are we grateful for that today? Are we grateful that we've been given this incredible revelation of truth? Kissmaker says, this faith is a gift of God that is entrusted to Christians and is described in superlative form as most holy. 
This faith, which originates with God, is perfect, pure, and incomparable. Spurgeon, talking about building, said this. Edification, what's edification mean? To build, to build up. Edification is a grand defense against the assaults of skeptics and heretics. They prey upon the ignorant and the unestablished, but fail to overthrow those who are rooted and grounded in the truth of God's word. We need to be continually built up. And what does he mean by that? Learning more, loving more, and living more the grand truths of the gospel. I love that definition. What does it mean to be built up in the faith? Learning more, loving more, living more of what we've been taught. We must see to it that the foundation is right for it will be useless or worse than useless to be built upon false principles. It is on our most holy faith that the building must be based. We should be so established in the doctrines of grace as to recognize their holiness and to imitate them in our own lives. Only a most holy faith is safe for the soul. And woe unto the man who rests content with any other. See that brothers and sisters, that to ward off the ills of these last times, we must labor to know the truth ourselves and must endeavor to instruct our brethren in them. What's the two-pronged thrust of this message? To know the truth yourself and then to help your brothers and sisters to know the truth. Build yourself up first and then someone else. When you're flying in the plane and you get ready to get started, we have the stewardess who stands up and they do this little spiel and they do the seatbelt thing and all that. And then they go over here and they pull down that air mask and they say, now it's really important for you to put the oxygen on yourself first and then put it on your what? Your children. The same is true with keeping yourself in holy faith. First, build yourself up and then you can do what? Build others up. If you don't build yourself up in holy faith, then you've got a mixture of false teaching and all kinds of stuff, and now you're just exporting it to somebody else. That is not a blessing. Okay? So we must labor to know the truth ourselves, and Spurgeon says, and endeavor to instruct our brethren in them. Personal and mutual edification in the church should be zealously maintained as one of the most valuable defenses against the invasion of error. Acts chapter 20, verse 32. Paul says, And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to do what? Build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. So the first participle is what? Building yourselves up on your most holy faith. Building. The second participle is praying in the Holy Spirit. We need to pray and we all need to pray more I know you've never heard that here at Fredericksburg Christian Fellowship, so I just wanted to share that with you today. We need to pray. But it's not just rattling off prayers based upon our own agenda. It is prayers that are motivated and empowered by the Spirit. That means that if the saints expect to really pray, he must be Spirit-filled or Spirit-controlled. We pray by means of the Holy Spirit in dependence upon him. Notice the description he gives of the false teachers in Jude 19. They are what? Devoid of the Spirit. False teachers, false followers have, do not have the Spirit of God. We, on the other hand, have the Spirit of God. And he gives us the grace to be able to really pray. 
and move God's kingdom forward. Romans 8, 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Are we, are we weak in prayer? Yes, we are. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. If we're going to keep ourselves in the love of God, prayer is so important. We need to beseech God's throne for grace to keep ourselves in the love of God. To keep ourselves connected to our relationship with God and what he's done for us. This is the same thing as John 15. You are the vine, or I'm the vine, and you're the what? Branches. Abide in me. As we stay connected to Christ, we will be fruitful. When we're not, we're useless for kingdom purposes. Prayer helps us stay connected by his grace, to, to his grace to be all that he wants us to be. Remember Jesus telling the disciples, can't you watch and pray one hour? The answer was what? No, we can't. We're too tired. Sinful nature, prayer's too much work. It's like riding the bike uphill. It's hard work. I'd rather ride the bike downhill. But Jew's not giving you an option here. He's not saying, and I would recommend you pray in the Spirit. He assumes you will pray in the Spirit. He practically commands you to pray in the Spirit. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. We're very familiar with this passage. Let's turn there. He says, since then we have a great high priest. Who's that? Jesus, right? Who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. That's another way of saying hold fast to the faith. Right? For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So Jesus understands your situation. Amen? He was a man. He was God. He faced every temptation you and I faced, yet he did not what? He did not sin. Therefore, what is the writer of Hebrews saying? Go to him. Since he faced everything you face, he's your high priest, go to him. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace where he is, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. How often do we have a time of need? Once a week? I don't think so. Once a day for sure. Hour by hour, absolutely. Moment by moment, depending on the day. You may have a day that's maybe temptation-free or less temptation, but the next one's going to be temptation upon temptation upon temptation. And what do you do at that point? Just fall over? It was just too much for me to handle. Most of us do that, don't we? The Bible says you've not even resisted to the point of shedding your own blood in resisting sin. What's our call to do? Build yourself up in your holy faith. And then what? Pray in the Spirit and cry out for grace to resist temptation, to resist your flesh, the world, the devil, and to stay in the love of God. It's a battle. It is warfare. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Some of us here, including myself, find ourselves being defeated by sin simply because we will not pray. We will not pray in the power of the Spirit. We will not pray for each other and the challenges that each other faces. And therefore, we almost have this feeling, well, God really can't give victory. Well, you know why? Because you're not using the weapons he's given us. Praying in the Spirit. 
Spurgeon again from this passage. And this was really an amazing message Spurgeon had on this whole, whole area, this whole section of Scripture. He says, praying in the Holy Spirit is the weapon with which the hosts of the Lord will put to rout the armies of the alien. The prayers of saints are the mighty artillery with which the walls of our Jerusalem are protected. Supplication is a cannon which throws tremendous bolts against the advancing foe as Sennacherib knew when Hezekiah pleaded with God. Remember what happened with Sennacherib? He was going to attack Jerusalem. He mocked Jerusalem. Hezekiah prayed. He withdrew from Jerusalem, went back to his own, went back to his own town, went into his temple to pray, and one of his own sons slew him in the temple. God took care of him because of the prayers of Hezekiah. The prayers, however, must be deeply spiritual, written on the heart by the Holy Spirit, and presented with energy of his creating. Formal, lifeless petitions are but a Chinese-painted fortress, while praying in the Holy Spirit is an impregnable castle. I love those words. Those groans which cannot be uttered are pieces of ordinance which make the gates of hell tremble, but we must put our hearts under the influence of the blessed Spirit of God to have this and then lift them up in continued intercession before God. And then there can be no fear about the preservation of our minds from the error of the wicked. A praying church soon tries the spirits of false prophets and casts them forth as evil. I have far more faith in prayer than in controversy. Keep the prayer meetings going. Maintain private prayer with earnestness and we may laugh to scorn all the wisdom of unbelievers and deceivers. We can improve in this area, brothers and sisters. He doesn't command anything. He doesn't what? Enable. Amen? That would be horrible for him to command things of us that we could not do. But we can because we have the Spirit of God living within us. Prayer is not getting man's will done in heaven, but it's getting God's will done on earth. So we have building, we have praying, and now we have waiting Waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus that leads to eternal life. What is he talking about there? Why are, what, what's this mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life? It's Christ's second coming. He's saying, wait for Jesus. Look for Jesus. Get your eyes off of the situation and get an eternal perspective. Christ is coming, and when that happens, everything's going to change. So build on your holy faith, pray in the Spirit, and be waiting for Jesus. Have you ever had to wait for something? You had to wait, and you had to wait, and you thought you had it, and you had to wait. What happens? You become more and more and more what? Focused on what you're waiting for. Some of us are scared of eschatology and the study of the end times, and because we can't figure out exactly which of the four, four possible general plans of, of eschatology that are out there I can choose, we don't wait. Do not do that. One of the most powerful tools we have, according to Jude, is waiting, looking. In Revelation, he says, Come, Lord Jesus, come. Our waiting on Jesus causes us to have our focus fixed completely on who? Him. Knowing that he has all this waiting for us. 1 Peter chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father. This is verse 3, chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. 
to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. I don't know about you, I'm ready for my salvation to be revealed. I'm ready for him to come. And he has an inheritance for me that is unfading, undefiled, and will not perish. How many of you ever had that joy of having somebody steal something from you? You quickly realize that things can be taken from you very quickly in this world. We're watching a lot of Christians around the world who are being killed because they believe in Jesus. Their life is being what? Taken. This last week in Oregon, a man went into a community college full of hatred. And he asked students, what's your religion? If your religion was Christian, you got shot in the head. If you had no answer or you gave a different religion, you got shot in the leg. Within a moment, life changed. Your life was taken away. But this tells us here that our inheritance is not taken away. All that Jesus has for us will never be taken. It is absolutely secure. Wait. Waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Are you waiting for Jesus, brothers and sisters? Are you thinking about his coming? Are you longing and looking forward to it? Or is your head down in the trees and you're all consumed with the troubles of life? Lift up your head. Look to him. Look to his coming. And again, this word is a participle, a present participle. It's what? Continue to wait. Continually looking. How do we maintain, how do we hold on to the love of God? We hold on to it by building on our holy faith, by praying in the power of the Holy Spirit and longing and looking for Jesus to come. So our first challenge is to make sure that we keep ourselves in the love of God. We have to constantly be reminding ourselves that God loves us, don't we? And when our sin pops up and when life's circumstances come around, what happens? We have a tendency to question the love of God, don't we? The very first sin, what did Satan do? He caused Adam and Eve to question the love of God. God has kept some things from you over here. And if you just do this right here, you're going to get a whole lot more than God ever had planned for you. You holding on to the love of God is so necessary as you fight sin, as you deal with the challenges of life, holding on to the fact that he loves you is more powerful, brothers and sisters, than you can ever imagine. Keeping ourselves. He says, keep yourselves in the love of God. In other words, hold on to the fact that Jesus loved you. Jesus died for you. He's the one who loved you first. And now you have the joy of what? Loving him what? Back. How can you love him if he didn't love you first? We love him first because he first loved us. Amen? Now we've got to keep others. We have the privilege of keeping others in the love of God. Verse 22 and 23. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. And to others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. We're not told here whether these people are believers or unbelievers. They may be, they may be fellow believers who are struggling and being swept away by false teaching. 
But our job is that we're not only to take care of ourselves, we're also to do what? Take care of other people. Years ago, we went on a retreat with some of my faculty at my school. And we went to a ropes course. That sounds harmless, doesn't it? It was terrifying, let me just say that. So here we are, we're on the ropes course, and they have the wall, your climbing wall, you have all these things. Then they have this thing where they have a telephone pole just coming straight out of the ground going as a normal size telephone pole with little spikes on the side of it, right? <clears throat> At the top of the telephone pole, a good 12 to 14 feet away from it is a trapeze just hanging there. I'm not going to do that. Well, as I watched all the female staff one by one climb that pole and do this, there was this growing pressure that my manhood was in definite jeopardy if I did not do this. And so finally I said, yeah, yeah, can't wait, can't wait to do this. I've been waiting, I've been letting you ladies go first. I'm ready now, you know. And the, what they did was they strap you in this vest and it has a rope and the rope goes up where the trapeze is and back down. And the rope then, there's a, there's a pretty good sized guy on the other end of the rope. But you're going, you're not big enough <laughs> to keep me from falling if something happens here. And they take the rope and there's this huge pole and it has holes in it and you run the rope back and forth through this pole like, like tying a lace on a shoe. And then he, has the, then he has the rope tied around him and strapped on. So you say to him, you say, You'll say, um, he'll say, belay on, and you'll, that means you're ready, which was a lie. I wasn't ready at all for this. And um, I go, uh, on belay, climbing. So I start climbing. And I'm climbing up to the top of the tree heights, right? I mean, we're up there. I'm like, how am I going to even get to stand on top of this pole? I mean, there's just, I was like, this is crazy. Did I ever tell you I'm scared of heights? Yeah, I am scared of heights, uh, which is kind of life challenge here so we climb up this pole and then you're supposed to this, this is crazy part there's no place to run and jump you're supposed to leap out here and grab this trapeze that nobody had gotten yet but you're up there so I finally got on top of the pole and I mean everybody's like little ants down there and I'm, I had this rope on me, and I'm like, I sure hope this thing is cinched well, because, I mean, if, if it doesn't hold. So I jumped, and, of course, I missed, the rope, missed it, and I came down, but it caught me. For, me. for him to rescue me, he had to be in a secure position, right? He had to be secure. He had to have the rope running through the post and strapped to himself, and himself fully secured and ready for that 200 and some odd pound drop to not just run him through that post. The same is true for us, brothers and sisters. We have to be secure. That's why he's told us, keep yourselves in the love of God. How do you secure yourself so you can help others? Keep yourself in the love of God. John Seeley said, when the power of reclaiming the lost dies out of the church, it ceases to be the church. Everybody wants to define what the church is. It has to be sound teaching, has to take the elements, needs to have biblical leadership. But he makes this point here, if we're not rescuing people who are lost, then we cease to be the church. The emphasis of this passage is either rescuing believers from false doctrine or rescuing people who themselves are lost. He says, first, have mercy on those who doubt. There are people who are easily swayed and moved, maybe because of ignorance, maybe because they haven't trained themselves, whatever the situation is, but they are moving toward false doctrine that will shipwreck their faith. He says, have mercy on them. Matthew 5, 7 says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. 
Second, he says, save others by snatching them out of the fire. There's some who are already in it. They've already bought into it. They're, they're on their way to be with Satan. He says what? Snatch them. Because you have the love of God in you, reach out by the truth that God's given you and snatch them out of it. Take them out of the fire. We have people all around us, brothers, who are burning. Spiritually, they're burning. They are children of wrath. And unless somebody comes in by the grace of God and speaks the gospel to them and gets a hold and snatches them, they will spend eternity in hell. It is our responsibility by the grace of God to reach out and snatch them. He's telling these people in the church, you've got a brother who's wandering off into false teaching. Snatch them. Go after them. Teach them the truth. Don't go, oh, well, we just lost another one too bad. How can you do that with the love of God? Because weren't you at one time one who was snatched out of the fire? We were all snatched out of the fire. Do we understand that? The third one says to show, other, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Rescuing is dangerous business. There have been people who tried to rescue people from drowning and drowned themselves. There are people who tried to rescue somebody from a shooter and been killed themselves. Jesus, when he came to rescue us, did he do it without any loss? For him to rescue us, he died. He had to die to rescue us. So he's saying, in this situation, for some people, when you show mercy, you need to do it fearfully. And knowing there's a risk here. Galatians 6, 1 and 2. Brothers, if anyone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in the spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourselves as you do this, lest you too be what? Tempted. I can't tell you how many stories I've heard of, of deacons and pastors going to confront a brother in, in committing some kind of a sin. And they all go to deal with it and they deal church discipline. And then three or four of these other brothers who went to do it, later it comes out they're involved in the same sin this brother was involved in. It's dangerous to rescue. So we saw this week, didn't we, in Oregon, a man going to a college campus. He went to the classroom in which he had been at. And he is killing people. And there's a man named Chris Mintz, been in the military for a few years. He decides, I'm not going to stand by and watch this happen. He runs down to the library and he sets the alarms off. He's hurting people out. Then he gets where the guy's coming through a door. He closes the door, tells the guy, you will not come in here. He is shot seven times in the midst of trying to rescue people. And all the time he's telling this guy, this is my son's sixth birthday. This is my son's birthday. There is a picture of a rescuer. That is a picture for us, brothers and sisters that we are not only to keep ourselves in the love of God, but we're to rescue others and help them get into the love of God. Obviously, we know that's a work of the Spirit of God. But we also know that we're called to facilitate that by the gospel. For many of us, we're concerned about our Christian life. We've got the first part down pretty good. I'm going to try to keep myself in the love of God. But, we, but the second part is part we need to work on, and that is we need to rescue those 
who are doubting, those who are in the fire, those who are wandering away, we've got to take some risks. And it may be, it may be damaging to us. But Jude says, we can overcome the false believers and the false teachers. Brothers and sisters, we're living in a world that is getting more and more hostile to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, we can hunker down in fear and find ourselves a classroom in the community college to hunker down to avoid getting shot. Or we can keep ourselves in the love of God, building our holy faith, praying in the power of the Spirit, waiting for his return, and then reaching out by the grace he gives us to rescue as many as he gives us opportunity to rescue. May God give us grace to do that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this incredible passage of Scripture that in the midst of evil and false teaching in a world that is rejecting you, we don't have to fear because you love us. And Father, I pray that you would give us grace to enjoy your love more and more as we build ourselves up and understand how much you love us, as we pray and ask you for grace to become more like Jesus. Lord, as we eagerly await for your coming. And then Lord, because you have given us your love, it can't help but see others in desperate straits, whether they're believers falling off into false doctrine or whether they're rank unbelievers who never have understood the gospel of Jesus Christ. It begins with keeping ourselves in the love of God. And we're grateful that you keep us as well. Father, I pray that you would equip us for works of service, that we would get a voice and that we would care about others and where they're headed and that by your grace we might be a part of helping snatch some from the flame and rescuing some from false teaching and put in the road to enjoy your love. Father, we thank you for that. We ask you to give us grace. In Jesus' name, amen.